0: To look upon the demon legions of the dark gods is to see glorious damnation made manifest. The hosts of corn march beneath brazen icons and howl their bloodlust as they brandish smoldering blades aloft. The legions of zinch coruscate with kaleidoscopic flame. Capering and gibbering even as they endlessly mutate. Nurgle's clades lumber to war amidst roaring storms of plague flies, some slouching, slump shouldered and grim, others ebullient in their festering and malevolent mirth. Those of Slanesh, meanwhile, advance with deceptive grace. Wreathed in perfumed clouds and glittering illusions, that drive mortals wild with want, even as they repel and dismay. Corn. Corn is known across the galaxy as the Blood God, the Lord of Battles, and the Great Butcher, amongst countless other titles. He is the patron of warriors, whether they worship him consciously or not, and the wellspring of all conflict, hatred, and bloodshed. The demons of corn are embodiments of his murderous rage and raw martial might territorial aggression, uncontrolled anger, and the urge to violence are among the most basic and common drivers of most mortal species. As they develop, civilizations may claim to have left such barbarity behind. Yet, even the most advanced star-spanning empires make war upon their foes. Perhaps their peoples and their holdings require defending against less enlightened invaders. Maybe they desire new territories in which they can expand. Champions fight for their lords, their honor, or their faith. Warriors do battle to defend their homes and families or to cast down those they believe their enemies. Drunkards brawl in void dock taverns. Assassins strike from the shadows. Fetid generals direct mighty armies in countless campaigns of conquest. No matter the cause, No matter the scale, the result is the same. Every violent act and expression of rage or hate flows into the warp. There it empowers the entity that mortals know as Korn, the blood god. Myriad civilizations throughout the galaxy and across the span of millennia have offered worship to Korn. He is a patron of warriors, a deity easily perceived to be a source of strength and catalyst to conquest. Moreover, All too many peoples throughout the long and tragic history of the galaxy have been quick to anger and ready to hate. Entire alien empires have risen and fallen in service to the Blood God, inevitably ending amidst calamitous violence and vast loss of life. Some, like the Abdor clans, or the arachnoid Speca, were barbarous and feral species, drawn to the brute strength and ferocious aspect of corn. Others, such as the somber Palotornet of Ink, began as noble and highly advanced beings who were drawn into corn's worship during their quest Martial excellence. Countless human cultures, too, have offered praise to corn. Indeed, many still do, either in secret within the bowels of imperial society, or else openly upon renegade worlds long sundered from the guidance of the ecclesiarchy. On Corlan, too, he is known as Karg, the Red Hound. To the blood sects of the Reaving Stars, he is Orn, the Endless Howl. The Skinner gangs of the Cardic Underhives know him simply as the Bladesman, honoring him by flensing the skulls of their rivals and piling them into pyramids. Meanwhile, the self-proclaimed Prophets of Fury know him as the Skull Star, whose furious glare guides their slaughter fleets to each new battleground. Corn is depicted in many different aspects across the span of the galaxy. He is rendered in gory cave paintings, in mosaics of brass and bone, or on the billowing banners of those renegade space marines who worship him. The dreaded world eaters, chief amongst them. Yet there are aspects to Korn's portrayal that appear repeatedly. Even amongst cultures separated by immense gulfs of space and time. Many envision him as a towering warrior with the head of a snarling hound. He is said to wear a mighty suit of brass and blackened iron, and to bellow his demands for bloodshed while seated on a brass throne atop a colossal mountain of skulls. Those who worship Corn believe that every worthy head they take is added to that pile, and that, when their time comes, their own skull will be added. Furthermore, every sect or civilization ever to depict Corn shows him with a dread weapon at his side. Most often this is a vast two-handed battle blade. Others may envision an axe, a halberd, or whatever strange local melee weapon seems most in keeping to them. Whatever the case, Horn's blade is always said to be a huge and terrible thing. War itself wrought in bloodied iron. That can cut reality itself asunder with a single swing. It has been called Woe Bringer, War Maker, and the End of All Things. On some aspects of his nature, all worshippers agree. Corn disdains trickery and hates sorcery. And psychers, worst of all. Corn's true altar is the battlefield, and his sacrament is an endless tide of flowing blood. Most importantly, Corn bestows his greatest favor upon those who butcher without restraint, and even turn their blades. Upon their allies in battle, such slaughters, it is said, show their understanding of Corn's most fundamental tenet. He does not care from whence the blood flows; only that it does. There can be no mistaking Corn's demons as they surge from the warp. To do battle, furious manifestations of living brass, hoarded muscle, and bloodied bone. They embody all the blood god's boundless rage, and his unending need for battle. Brazen horns howl to herald these demons' onset. Their clamor fills the skies loud as crashing thunder and echoing from all directions. Feral war cries rip through Vox networks and burst from com so sudden and deafeningly loud that they burn out entire channels and rupture eardrums. The ground shudders and cracks Chasms yawning wide to vomit boiling blood. And clattering masses of skulls. Ragged wrens split the fabric of reality. Infernal firelight swelling from within. Carmine mist billows. Blood warm and heavy. With a coppery stink. Alive with prowling half-seen shapes with eyes like burning coals. Warriors feel sudden fury grip them. Their discipline and training crumble before the inexplicable urge to turn their weapons upon comrades they have known and valued for years. The sky darkens with whirling ash or else catches light as flames race through the boiling clouds. Then come the demons, falling upon their victims like an avalanche. Bloodletters lope into battle hissing their hatred, hacking their way with their forge-hod hellblades, which they wield with terrifying savagery and skill. Every blow lops another head from enemy's shoulders as the blood of their victims form lakes upon the battlefield. Still, more bloodletters claw their way up from beneath its surface to charge into battle. Blood crushers smash everything in their path with single minded ferocity. The brass-skinned juggernauts shrugging off firepower that would reduce battle tanks to scrap. Skull cannons clatter into position. The wail of damned souls filling the air as macabre ammunition is stuffed into the weapon's crunching jaws. The air shudders as the cannons fire raining screaming skulls down upon the foe to detonate in brimstone blasts. Yet even as warriors are butchered, even as shocking violence reduces everything to bloodied meat, still a special kind of terror is reserved for the bloodthirsters. These are the ultimate champions of corn, the generals and war leaders of his infernal legions. Towering giants, clad in Baroque armor and borne aloft upon vast, leathery wings, they are the damnation of humanity made manifest. Where their gaze falls even the bravest of enemies quail in mindless terror. And wherever the bloodthirsters strike with their massive brazen weapons, even the mightiest armor is torn apart. Zinch An ever-shifting multiplicity of concepts are considered to fall within the purview of Zeench, as is only appropriate for this strange chaos god. Sorcery, fate, mutation, trickery, prophecy, infinite knowledge, boundless change, Zeench is said to preside over all these things and more. There are many reasons that mortals fall to the whispered temptations of Zinch Within dank underhive slums, bond-sworn to sweltering manufactorums, or mutated since birth and forced to hide amongst a society that reviles them, humans are robbed of power over their own lives. They long for something, anything, to change. Gradually, that longing becomes a desire for the power to force that change to manifest. Perhaps these desires are altruistic, the wish to feed one starving family, or the honest need to change the hand fate has dealt. Other motivations are more selfish and spiteful. A bullying overseer with all the power who needs to be taught a lesson. A desire to gain the insights needed in order to ensure some criminal enterprise succeeds. All such fervent wishes for change provide opportunities that Zinge's demons exploit. In the most psychically empowered of minds, these wants may be enough to open the way for entities to flow from the warp. In others, they are sufficient to see lost individuals hear and obey the voices that whisper through their dreams, or to steer them into dangerous cults that soon see souls pledged to the changer of the ways. Nor is it only the downtrodden who wish for change, even the greatest men and women can discover there are limits to their ability to understand or to alter the galaxy to their liking. Nobles and planetary governors yearn for the ability to out and out-scheme their rivals or to improve the lot of those they serve. Learned scholars and powerful sorcerers wish always for more knowledge, greater understanding, the unlocking of forbidden lore, no matter how good or evil their intentions might be. This thirst for insight leads them into the clutches of Singe. Generals and priests Inquisitors and Prophets alike, all have sought proscribed lore and thus been ensnared by the Architect of Fate. No matter why people turn to the worship of Zinch, or how intentionally they do so, every mortal race empowers him. All those who plot who trick their rivals or ambush their enemies, all who prize knowledge and understanding over brute force, who inscribe or study arcane lore, all are worshipping. Zinch has countless faithful scattered across the galaxy. Some form cults and covens sequestered within forbidden libraries or lurking in fanes in the wilds. Others are cunning manipulators hidden in plain sight amidst high society. Or even renegade war bands of the heretic Dostartes, most notably the Cults of the Thousand Suns, and their demon Primarch Magnus the Red. It is easy to see why so many give their allegiance to the Architect of Fate. His demons whisper secrets into the minds of his faithful, insights they could not possibly glean by other means and forbidden lore that renders them powerful. His champion's mortal forms undergo incredible changes that are hailed as boons and proof of Zinch's favor. Coiling and crushing tentacles, the ability to breathe gouts of warp flame glassy scales harder than bonded Ceramite, diaphanous wings, the power to hypnotize with but a glance, labyrinthian and inhuman mental architecture, all these and infinite other blessings may manifest within the bodies of those who offer their souls to the changer of the ways. Then there are the sorcerous powers bestowed upon so many of Xenx's worshippers. These allow them to hurl blasts of mutating fire, to scry the maddening strands of the future, or to transmogrify the very fabric of real space. Such boons are not freely given. It is said of Singe that he is the great conspirator, the master of enigmatic and ineffable plans of such complexity and galaxy spanning scope that none but he can comprehend them. Every one of his mortal servants, no matter how powerful they might think themselves is but another puppet. Each is but the tiniest of cogs within an impossibly complex machine intended to bring about eventual victory for the architect of fate. Snared in this eternal web, mortal worshipers are in truth trapped worse Than they ever were before they sold their souls. More often than not, their fate is simply as the conjurers or screaming conduits by which Zinch's demonic hosts pour into real space. There have been many differing depictions of Zinch rendered by mortals as there are stars in the heavens. Some envision an enlightened being of illuminating flame, a constellation of all seeing eyes, or an impossibly intricate puppeteer tugging at the strings of fate. Often he is envisioned as a towering figure whose sunken visage is embedded low in his chest, and whose skin crawls with myriad faces that leer, mock, lie, and contradict. Great horns are depicted curling from Sinch's head, crackling with arcane fire, while about him wheel endless expanses of sorcerous energy and overlapping fractured realities. He is said to be able to observe the fates and machinations of any mortal being from any moment in time amidst these whirling images. To hear the thoughts, hopes, plots and schemes of every living thing within his mind. There are those who believe that Zinsha's realm within the warp manifests as a vast crystal labyrinth through which his demonic legions prowl. Supposedly replete with bizarre libraries, weird mirror realms, and fractal mazes of infernal madness. This convoluted infinity is said to dance with the fires of change and to grow and branch ever further as Zinch's power swells. Within the Ordo Malleus archives there are indeed numerous references extrusions from just such a labyrinth. It is recorded tearing through the skin of real space during especially apocalyptic incursions by the demons of Zinch. Dark rumor and recorded visions insist that somewhere in the labyrinth's uttermost depths lies the impossible fortress wherein Zinch lurks and plots within his hidden library. Whatever the truth, entire worlds and vast regions of space have been swallowed into the ever-changing and beautiful mass of the Crystal Labyrinth, or left impossibly altered after its tunnels retreat back to the warp, meanwhile legions upon legions of demons have been seen to spill from within its shimmering depths. Those demons of Zinch are every bit as bizarre and mind-bending as their patron deity, the greatest of their number are the Lords of Change, which manifest as avian horrors with cruel talons, kaleidoscopic wings, flowing robes, and eyes like windows into the abyss. They are embodiments of Zinj's boundless cunning devious manipulators and conjurers of illusion whose touch brings mutation. Their sorcerous powers eclipse those of the mightiest mortals. The lords of change serve as the generals of Zeench's demonic legions and the arch magisters of his infernal covens. Many also work his will upon real space, by possessing mighty individuals and secretly abusing their power, or by posing as demigods to be worshipped by and to utterly corrupt primitive peoples. The closest thing to foot soldiers in the Xenxian hosts are the horrors. These weird humanoid demons possess rubbery and malleable bodies with leering faces set into their chests, lurid pink flesh, and gangling arms that end in wicked talons or gross fungoid digits they spill toward the enemy in a shimmering tide, tumbling and writhing over and about one another as they cackle, wail, and gibber cacophonously. As manifest motes of Zinch's power, each horror possesses formidable sorcerous abilities, and can hurl mutating warp fire to twist and burn their victims. Moreover, should a pink horror be slain, they are not banished, but instead, split into two smaller blue horrors that gurgle and jabber with foul-tempered spite even as they continue to assail their victims. Lesser again, are the brimstone horrors, swarming imps of living warp flame that cluster about their foes and engulf them in crawling fire. As warriors struggle to hold back the surging tide of sorcery and madness, even stranger entities engulf them from all sides. Blade-winged screamers flow through the air, slashing and sinuous. Flamers of zinc bound into battle, spraying tongues of mutating warp flame from myriad yawning maws. With every moment the demon's victims are twisted and ruined in body and mind, until nothing remains but pleading eyes and screaming mouths, dotted amidst heaving masses of unclean mutant flesh. Nurgle Nurgle is the Plague God. He is most often depicted as a hulking leprous abomination, a mountain of disease-bloated flesh, whose pustulant innards spill through his splitting hide amidst a miasma of rot and droning plague flies. Nurgle, they say, hunches over his noxious cauldron and delights in brewing nightmarish contagions who unleash upon the peoples of real space. At first glance, it might seem that few mortal beings would choose to worship Nurgle, and that those who do must surely be mad. The ragged preachers of Nurgle's feculent faith cannot promise martial might on a par with that embodied by corn. They do not offer the boundless cunning and sorcerous potency of Zinch, nor even the hedonistic pleasures or obsessive fulfillments of Slaanesh. Nurgle's remit is plague. His boons are in themselves supernatural maladies, demonic parasites and disfiguring mutations who but a nihilistic lunatic would willingly offer worship to the author of such woes yet disease decay entropy and the despair they bring are fundamental facts for populations and armies across the galaxy. On world after world, crops fail, food spoils, and sickness and starvation follow. Overcrowded field hospitals are hotbeds for swift spreading infections, and feeding grounds for rapacious parasites. Languishing in footed slums, pinned down and wounded amidst the contaminating filth of no-man's land. Ravaged by noxious bioweapons and alien phages, souls beyond number confront the inescapable fact of their own mortality. Some cling to faith and hope until the last. Most pass beyond the limits of their endurance, and cry out in their delirium for salvation, no matter its source. Whether they suffer until the end, or their will gives way, they all empower the plague god. It is said by the worshippers of Nurgle that, for all the cruelties he heaps upon real space he is at heart a fond-hearted and grandfatherly deity there are few whose supplication he would refuse nor deny his rancid gifts thus the worshippers of nurgle become willing hosts for all his most grotesque contagions precisely in order to survive their touch. They take into themselves that which would otherwise be their destroyer, becoming one with it and glorifying in the unholy vitality and resilience, such a gruesome bargain grants. Each mortal who makes this pact becomes another vector or Nurgle's supernatural contagions, and another catalyst to furthering the Grand Sire's power. In truth, succumbing to the worship of Nurgle is indeed a kind of madness. His mortal worshipers exult in all the repugnant signs of disease and mutation that should instinctively repel them. They willingly spread his plagues far and wide, even to comrades-in-arms or loyal friends they would have previously sought to protect. They do this in the certainty that they are sharing Nurgle's priceless gifts, echoing their deity's boundless generosity. The most fervent of Nurgle's mortal worshippers recognize that even amidst the misery of disease and the ruination of decay, new life is born. Squirming parasites and filth-grubbing nematodes, grotesque spore-spewing fungi, clouds of flies vast and dense as thunderheads mutant viral strains and ravenous bacteria. All such progeny of rot proliferate where Nurgle's touch is felt. Nurgle's realm within the warp is described in moldering, maggot-riddled grimoires and ordo data slates alike. Many are the luckless mystics and gibbering heretic witches who claim to have looked upon that noxious netherworld in their visions. Most call it the Garden of Nurgle, at the heart of which squats the vast canker of his manse. In truth, it is likely that neither human words nor human imaginations can come close to accurately portraying the raw malignancy of the empiric reaches in which Nurgle's powers coalesce. Still, accounts speak of churning, vomitous marshes, thick with hissing reed beds of rotted bone. They tell of fungoid forests and of maggot-stuffed trees festooned with rustling bells of pallid blooms growing from bloated and foul from soil fertilized with rotting corpses, and of the ghastly plague demons that roam the blighted wilds. The inhabitants of real space would be fortunate if Nurgle's demons stayed within that metaphysical garden. Yet wherever the grandfather's power waxes amidst epidemic and sorrow, there his festering legions spill through the veil like foulness gushing from a punctured boil. They come in a shambling mass, their ragged banners flapping in pestilent winds that carry the toiling of discordant bells and the groan of mucus choked voices to their terrified foes. The daylight curdles to a jaundice hue that renders all in sickly shades of pallor and disease. The land itself turns rotten. Water thickening to effulent sludge, while plants, animals and horrified soldiers alike bloat and burst with septic pus and teeming maggots. To fight the demons of Nurgle is to be immersed in inescapable corruption, to have your weapons rust in your hands and fever rack your aching body even as all you seek to protect falls into ruin around you. Hopeless horror rolls ahead of Nurgle's demons like a bow wave, mingling with masses of drowning flies and billowing vapors to bring formerly staunch defenders to their knees. Those who stand and fight face a riot of pestilent grotesques, whose diseased warped flesh and rotted innards render them all but impossible to slay. Hides of giggling, biting plague mites flow underfoot, levelant little nurglings that spill up the legs of screaming victims and bury them in mounds of diseased flesh. Massed ranks of plague-bearers trudge to battle, slouched and rotten warriors of Nurgle, with but a single eye and crooked horn apiece. Bloated and foul, they maintain a droning count of Nurgle's countless maladies. Even as they hack away with plague swords, whose touch promises poison and disease. From the befouled skies come plague drones, revolting fly demons larger than an ogrin, that attack with slobber wet mouthparts and filthy stings. In their shadows, bound the beasts of Nurgle, grotesquely ebullient masses of slug-like flesh and poisonous tentacles whose secretions sicken and paralyze, and whose vigorous attentions leave their mortal playthings crushed and rotten in their wakes. Looming over all, booming with cruel mirth and stinking like a sewage-choked plague pit, come the great unclean ones. Fashioned in the image of their master, these rancid hulks of diseased flesh oversee Nurgle's pretties like proud parents. They slay those who oppose them, with befouling magics, clubbing blows of virulent blades and flails, and choking steams of noxious vomit so inimical that they can dissolve tank armor in seconds or drown entire squadrons of soldiery in gelid filth. Slanesh. No mortal being is entirely free from desire, be it physical, mental, or even spiritual. The need for fulfillment goes hand in hand with most species' wish to find meaning and purpose in their lives. Yet as innocent as such motivations may be, it is all too easy for desire to become obsession, debasement, and excess. So are the seeds of Slanesh's power sown. To the cannibal tribes of Goma Six, Slanesh is known as the Feastbringer depicted as a slavering maw, vast as a canyon, whose hunger for human flesh can never be sated. To the alien Jorvax, his name is a jarring cacophony of symphonic disharmony, looped at mind-shattering volume through the organic amplifiers that grow like parasites on their bodies. The traitorous regiments of Toloso know him as the cruel mirror and mutilate themselves ever more grotesquely in hopeless displays of worship vanity. To the dwindling Eldari, Slanesh is named She Who Thirsts and is both the product of, and eternal punishment for, their ancient empire's degeneration into murderous debauchery. The Dark Prince, the Lord of Excess, the Perfect One. There are many names for Slaanesh in the great span of the galaxy as there are obsessions and perversions to waylay incautious and weak-willed mortals. Ultimately, it matters not what name or appearance people ascribe to this dark god. However, they fixate upon him. They all worship him in their way. Slaanesh is empowered by need and want, by mortals' descents into obsession and their succumbing to temptation in any form, thus while he is sometimes portrayed as being the least mighty of the four great chaos gods, in many ways Slanesh's power is simply more subtle and insidious than those of his infernal siblings. Moreover, its corrupting taint reaches into everything mortals strive for and want. As such, it is quite possible for Slanesh to derive power. From individuals and deeds that might, at first glance, seem dedicated wholesale to one of his rival deities. A murderous blade wielding gladiator, for instance, would seem on the surface to be an obvious servant of corn. Yet, in that warrior's obsessive need to perfect her blademanship, in her pride at each victory and her lust for the adulation and accolades she wins, she instead gives unconscious worship to Slanesh. Equally, a cunning noble overcoming his political opponents through elaborate scheming might appear to be a devotee of Zinch, Yet by the opulence and excess of his courtly lifestyle, not to mention his obsessive need to entrap his rivals in ever more Machiavellian plots, he too would empower the Dark Prince. Be it something as blameless as a starving laborer's desire for food, or as twisted as a sadistic killer's fixation upon inflicting pain. Every mortal desire that is taken to extremes increases Slanesh's might. In such a dark, violent, and desperate age as the 41st millennium, These energies rise like a flood tide. The demons of Slaanesh are manifestations of dark contradiction. Their aspect evokes the most desperate and hedonistic desires of mortal hearts, but also the fundamental wrongness and instinctive horror of such obsessions when they are taken to the nightmare extremes. They are repugnantly beautiful, jarringly graceful, beguiling, and yet wholly terrifying. The mere sight of such impossible entities can steal a mortal's wits, trapping them in an ecstasy of horror and longing that leaves them unable, often unwilling, to fight back. The first warning of these demons' onset may be lilting music, half-heard and strangely fascinating born to the ear upon a gently perfumed breeze as the sounds and smells grow more intense they bring with them the first ripple of unease to mortal hearts there is something acrid beneath the heady fragrances on the air something that hints at stale sweat, spilled blood, and vomit. The faint aria becomes more strident, its source unclear, its notes clashing and intermingling with wailing voices and insidious whispers. Mortals feel their pulses racing unaccountably, their flesh prickling with waves of pleasure and pain. Their minds stray to dark needs, or else slide inexorably into a state of numbing bliss that dulls reactions and slurs speech. Guns slip from nerveless fingers, tank engines idle as crews let their vehicles roll to a halt. By now, even the softest daylight has become harsh and glaring, curdled with prismatic accents ranging from unnaturally garish to the livid hues of a fresh bruise. Whispering voices slither through comms networks, beguiling threatening, imploring, and tempting. Sulfurous breath caresses the napes of warriors' necks, and feather-light touches rake their skin, even inside fully-sealed suits of armor. Overhead, the clouds contort into writhing, half-recognizable forms caught between bliss and agony. Bedrock trembles. Those not already lost whisper frantic prayers as all around them the world holds its breath in unwilling anticipation. Then come the demons of Slanesh. The skin of reality splits open like silken hangings slashed with razor blades, spattering perfumed gore and echoplasm. Sinuous shapes surged through the rents with discordant shrieks and squeals of unholy delight. Fiends of Slaanesh scuttled toward their disoriented victims, nightmare amalgamations of insect Equine and humanoid wreathed in a billowing musk that curdles minds and bewitches souls. They rear over willing prey who drop to their knees with sobs of horrified delight before the fiend's claws and talons descend. Behind these grotesque beasts packs of demonettes, lissom and beguiling monsters that dance toward their victims with insatiable hunger in their eyes. The demonettes' every claw stroke is a lethal caress. Their every cry of delight a soul-shredding screech, whose mere utterance Makes their victims yearn for more. Some of these handmaidens of Slanesh ride upon whip swift steeds, freakish and etiolated abominations, whose trilling cries are often the last sound their luckless victims hear. Others ride aboard glittering chariots fashioned in razor-sharp curves that drag musically clattering threshing blades behind them. Driven beyond sense or sanity, some mortals hurl themselves before the chariots, willingly succumbing to their ghastly fate. Those who choose to fight last little longer for these elegant engines of slaughter shimmer unreally through even the fiercest fire and can travel swifter than a speeding combat bike. As the wanton slaughter gathers pace and those with the wit to do so try to fight back, so the violence and horror unleashed by the demon's escalates. Some torment the foe with sorcerous music, played upon instruments fashioned from contorted and still-living mortal supplicants. Others conjure ghastly warp magics that corrupt and ruin their victims, or else drive the foe into wild rampages of cannibalistic debauchery that soon see them destroy themselves. Even amidst such a riot of insane excess, the keepers of secrets loom large as true avatars of the Dark Prince's will. These are the champions and generals of Slaanesh's demon legions, the stealers of souls and corruptors of worlds. At times, they do their work subtly by possessing those open to Slaanesh's wiles, or even better, those whose piety should render them resistant, be it planetary governors, or space marine chapter masters, humble preachers, or artists possessed of interplanetary fame, beloved, trusted, or feared individuals, such as these can be employed as tools to lead billions into damnation on Slaanesh's behalf. Yet for all this, The keepers of secrets are the most terrifying when they manifest in person upon the battlefields of real space. Foes wail with a desperate desire and prostrate themselves at the demon's approach. Allowing themselves to be crushed with a delicate cruelty beneath talon and hoof. Many warriors claw their eyes out at the sight of the demon's impossible beauty, or topple dead as their hearts rupture with self-loathing and lust. The keepers of secrets stalk through the madness, every motion inhumanly graceful, every blow delivered with the precision and might to shear a battle tank in two. Their sorceries can transform the most loyal soldier into a maddened traitor, or kill mortal foes with a barrage of excruciating bliss so delicately cruel that it literally sets their victims' nerves aflame. With these terrible entities dancing at their head the demon legions of slaanesh leave battlefields scattered with contorted corpses their ruined features distorted by death screams of terrified ecstasy